worship leader's job is to bring you to the throne of grace. Um, so Highland, thanks for bringing us to the throne. I will live to love you. What a great... That is, if that's the mission statement that you can live by, man, you are all set. Anyway, uh, my name is Aaron Engler. I am a seminary intern here at Hope Community Church. Um, I am working with the Walkers and the Devs with the Hiawatha Church plant. Um, I've affectionately gotten the name uh, Grunt Slave Intern, so you can imagine what a lot of my work entails, right? Um, <clears throat> no, it's, this is a great place to be, um, to be interning. It's a great place to be involved. Hope really values development, development and developing people, and it is a real honor to be here and be part of it, um, and it's an honor to be here in front of you this morning. So uh, why don't you bow your heads and pray with me for a second while we get started. Lord God, what an awesome task, what an awesome privilege it is um, to love you, Lord God, and to live such that we love you with all of our being. God, we ask that you would be with us this morning, God, and help us to fall deeper in love with you. That's all that we ask, God. We just want to see you better. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Do you ever have those times where you are kind of hungry, you're itching for something, you don't really know exactly what... Uh, you want to eat, so you make your way into the kitchen, and you open the fridge door, and you look inside, and you're like, man, there is nothing in here that I want to eat. I could have hamburger again. I could have spaghetti again. I could have ramen noodles again. I mean, I could have the pizza that's a week old again. But, you know, you look in there, and nothing in there is speaking to you. Nothing in there is reaching out to you. Nothing in there is calling your name saying, eat me, eat me, right? Um, but you know what I'm talking about, though, right? You've all had that experience before? I can remember when I was a little kid uh, going in and opening the fridge door and looking inside and being like, Ma, we got nothing to eat. And she walks up and she looks in the fridge and she's like, what are you talking about? There's all kinds of food here. Pick something out to eat. Um, and so you're just standing there and you're holding the door open so long in the fridge that you think the food's going to start to spoil, you know, before you finally make a decision. And we're going to see today that Jesus himself asks us the same question we ask ourselves when looking in that unsatisfying fridge. What are you going to eat? But in order to answer the question at the fridge, we first have to ask ourselves a couple more questions. Am I even really hungry? And if I am hungry and there really isn't anything here that, that is satisfying to me, to what, I, what I'm hungry for, where am I going to go find food that's going to satisfy this craving that I have? And if I do end up going out to find food, who's going to pay the tab? And if I do decide to go out and somebody else is going to pay the tab, then let's go to some place where I know the chef in the kitchen is going to do a remarkable job, right? And so our passage today is John 6, verse 16 to 34. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about, rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, 
They themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are not seeking me because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate man in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, It was not Moses who gave you, food from, who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father who gave you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Now this is your first time to hope. Um, we're in the midst of a series on the Gospel of John. Or if you've been away for a while, we're in the, obviously we're in chapter 6. Um, last week, Cor talked about the feeding of the 5,000. Um, and he helped us to see the, the feeding as a creative act of Jesus. And he encouraged us to see the grandeur and the awesomeness of the creative power of God. And you know, we're not the only ones to marvel at this creative sustaining power of God. The thousands of people that were with him also marveled at it. So much so they wanted to make him king by force. Now, what he, we ended at, to, at that point where they wanted to make him king by force and Jesus slipped away up to the mountainside. Um, my first question was, why do they want to make him king? What does that mean? Um, one of the ways that the emperor in Rome or a general in Rome um, garnished support from the mob, from the multitude, was that after they had a big success of, successful campaign or a new emperor was crowned, oftentimes they'd have a big parade in through Rome. And part of that parade was giving out free food, bread and um, things like that. So the people could take the day off and party, right? Because they didn't have to, to labor for their food to, to make it. And so here's Jesus passing out bread just like Caesar does. So what do the people think? Hey, he's providing for my belly. We don't need Caesar. Let's make him king instead. And this, is so, this got so out of hand and so far off that Jesus was trying to show, from what Jesus was trying to show, that he had to slip away to the mountaintop uh, by himself and then by night quickly and quietly escape to the other side of the sea. And so we pick it up there. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. Um, if you want to go to the next slide, one more. This is dusk at the Sea of Galilee. I got the chance to study in Israel for a semester. Um, and this is dusk, standing just a little bit from Tiberias, uh, directly across the lake, just to the right-hand side, a little bit off the map, is Capernaum. So that's across the lake that they're going on. You can see it. Um, they got into a boat. You go to the next two slides, I guess. Oop, back one. This is a Jesus boat, as the locals call it. Um, the Sea of Galilee, which is called Lake uh, Kinneret, it was a really drought uh, season, and the lake receded. And they found this boat in the mud um, just sticking up. And so a bunch of archaeologists got together and chemists that could preserve it, and they pulled this boat out. This is the same kind of fishing boat that Jesus would have used back 2,000 years ago. It fits 14 people. Uh, it's a tight fit, but it fits 14 people. Uh, one at the helm and one at the stern and a bunch of rowers and a bunch of uh, net workers. Now you get 14 people in a boat like that, that's not very deep. Um, 
And the sea, which is crystal clear like glass, if you want to go another slide again, one more. Crystal clear like this, even the fishermen today will tell you the same thing, that it'll go from crystal clear glass to five foot waves that fast. In a half an hour, you can be out in the middle of the lake and have a hard time getting back to shoreline because the storm comes up so violently and so fiercely. And then one more slide, one more. And this is now across the Sea of Galilee on the other side. Um, where we were, were in the first picture is on the right-hand side across. This is right next to Capernaum. And so you see that Jesus gave them a pretty good slip, right? I mean, here he was up in the mountain. They see the disciples go, and then all of a sudden Jesus is at Capernaum. How in the world does he do this? Um, but never underestimate the extent that people will go to get a free meal, right? Um, I can remember one time when I was a kid, uh, I was out in the cities here in Minneapolis with my dad. I don't remember what errand we were on. We were doing something down here. And uh, we heard on the radio that one of the car dealerships was offering free lunch to come into the dealership and look around. So we thought, this is great. We'll go eat brats and hamburgers on somebody else's tab. No big deal. And so we made the 10-minute drive, 15-minute drive, whatever it was, to get to the, the car dealership and have a free lunch. You know, we had no intention of buying a car. Absolutely not. That was the last thing on the radio. We were there because we wanted some food to eat, right? And so then on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. You know, word travels fast. We heard on the radio that they're offering free lunch. Boom. We were there for food, right? And so if you're in Tiberias and you missed the feeding the day before, tell me you're not going to try and take the day off and go find Jesus too and, eat, uh, and have another day after yourself. So this is the same mentality that the crowd also had. They didn't care who's giving it out necessarily, just like we didn't care that it was the car dealership giving food. They didn't care who's giving the food out. All they cared about was that they were hungry. And they were asking the question, where can we go to find some food? Verse 24. And so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now, you'd expect him to say, oh, about 5.45 this morning, right? Uh, we've had breakfast and lunch. It's nice, nice of you to stop by. But no, that's not what he says. He says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. What in the world are you talking about, Jesus? Of course I'm here because I'm hungry. I mean, you fed them yesterday. Why don't you feed me today too, right? We've got to ask ourselves an important question in the text here. With what eyes are they looking? Or to say it differently, are they looking with the eyes of their hearts? Or are they looking with the eyes of their bellies? I ask the question because at one critical juncture in, in the past, uh, this differentia differentiation was not made. If you look at Genesis, at the opening chapters of Genesis, Genesis 1-4, and God saw that the light was good. Genesis 1.10. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Genesis 1.12. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. 
Now, if you contrast that with the sight of the belly, just a couple chapters later, Genesis 3, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, for food, hear it, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband with her, and he ate. So now keep that in mind and jump back to Jesus' response to the disciples. What's the problem with them looking to Jesus with the eyes of their bellies? What's the problem with looking to them just through their physical hunger? It means that they're not looking to that which is going to satisfy their deepest longings. But instead, they're looking for that which is ultimately going to kill them. You know, there's a lot of things in life um, that we can desire that is not going to satisfy us. You know, I can desire companionship, but if I'm looking to fulfill that companionship by going from girl to girl to girl, am I going to ever be satisfied? Is that need for companionship ever going to be met? No. If I'm hurting, right, and I go to the bottle, I go to alcohol to try and take away that pain, I might take the edge off it for about an hour or so, but am I going to satisfy the hurt that's inside me? Right? No, this is not going to satisfy anything. It's going to lead to death, ultimately, for me. Now, kind of a, a picture to, to make, make it a little bit more clear. Um, I had just moved to Boston. I'm a seminary uh, student at gordon Conwell, which is on the East Coast. Uh, and if you've ever been to the East Coast or ever been to Boston, Boston is a notoriously complicated city to get around. I mean, it's like St. Paul times 100. And so, if you're trying to find your way around, man, and you don't know what, where, where you're going, forget it. Um, but the other thing, on the other hand, out on the East Coast, they also love their Dunkin' Donuts. Okay, Dunkin' Donuts is a, is a huge chain out there where all they sell are donuts, bagels, and really, really bad coffee. You know, I'm talking the coffee like that's been sitting in a glass pot for a long time and you can taste the burntness of the coffee, right? Um, but they're everywhere. And so here I am in Boston. I had an appointment to meet some friends at Quincy Market. Quincy Market is a place that people have been buying and selling and trading for hundreds of years, uh, literally. And now it's a place that is filled with restaurants and there are tables there you can go eat. And I was going to meet some friends there um, for lunch. I was lost. I was late. I couldn't find out where I was going. And I was you know, wandering around the city. And so finally, desperation sits in. And I see a local police officer walking around. And I ask him, you know, how in the world do I get to Quincy Market from here? And I kid you not, he gave me directions to Quincy Market by Dunkin' Donuts, right? <laughs> you go down the street here. Uh, after you pass your second Dunkin' Donuts, you'll come to an intersection. Take a right. After you go down the street a little bit further, you'll see another Dunkin' Donuts on your left. At the next intersection, take a left, and it'll be right there in front of you, right? I mean, <laughs> if I was looking just to eat, uh, I could have had my fill three times over by the time I got uh, to Quincy Market. But if I would have eaten there, sure, my belly would have been filled, but would my needs for nourishment have been satisfied? No, not at all, right? <laughs> Furthest thing from it. And second of all, my entire purpose of coming into Boston was to meet my friends at Quincy Market. Would I have accomplished that purpose? No. And so, now if you're going to really talk about eating out, and food, and if I am hungry, and I'm on the hunt, then also what I'm hungry for really depends on who's paying the tab. I mean, on my budget, if we're going to go out to eat, 
a dollar double cheeseburger at McDonald's is gonna fill me up just fine, right? But if Dad's gonna take me out to eat, then the $50 tenderloin at Manny's sounds incredible, right? And Jesus basically confirms the same thing here. At verse 27, he says, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. You know, like we've said before, we already know that the crowd is there because they're hungry. Right? They're looking for Jesus to feed them again. And we've already seen that Jesus has called them out on this. Don't labor for food that's going to perish. They're looking with the, the eyes of their bellies rather than the eyes of their hearts. And here in this passage, he's just filling out the idea a little bit more. He's telling them that if they strive after bread just to fill their bellies, that bread is a perishable food and it's going to lead to their death. It's not going to satisfy what they're looking for. Working just for the material fruit of the earth will not satisfy your longings. The food that you're looking for isn't going to nourish your souls. And like them, it's not going to nourish their souls. It's just going to nourish their bodies. And instead, Jesus here is telling them to go after the food that will satisfy them such that they'll never look for food again. He's telling them to look with the eyes of their heart rather than the eyes of their bellies. And better yet, look for the food that the Son of Man is going to give to you. Free of charge. Now, when I looked at verse 28 and 29, man, these are a couple of loaded verses. Um, and I didn't know what to do with them at, at first. Um, but then some stuff kind of started to, to come along. I want you to take a note between what the, the crowd asks Jesus and what Jesus responds with. What are the works of God that we must be doing? And Jesus responds, this is the work of God. They're looking for Jesus to tell them what things they need to do, what system of behaviors they have to follow in order for them to live, in order for them to eat. Whereas Jesus is telling them what they need to eat in order to live. Do you get the distinction? They're looking for Jesus to tell them what they need to do so that they can eat. And Jesus is telling them what they need to eat in order for them to live. And when I was going through this text for a while, I was wrestling with a, with a big question. Um, is faith a work? Is believing a work? In many ways, you know, I think it is, quite honestly. Um, to believe in God is more than just an intellectual assent to who he is. I mean, even the demons know who Jesus is and they shudder, right? It's more than just saying, I believe in God. Because, I mean, I also believe that when I press the power button on the computer, it's going to turn on, right? Is it the same kind of belief here that Jesus is talking about? I don't think so. Belief is more than just saying, I believe in God, intellectually. It's saying, you are mine because I am yours. The greatest commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
That kind of belief, the kind of belief that takes up my heart, my soul, my mind, and all my strength, that kind of belief to me sounds a lot like work, doesn't it? But according to our text here, whose work is it? God's, right? This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. The work of the Lord is accomplished when you believe. You're doing the work of the Lord when you believe. So if you want to do the work of God, then you've got to believe. You've got to believe in him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Nothing else is going to satisfy. Now, I'm going to give you another example, maybe to, to help clarify things a little bit. Um, right out of college, I got a job with M&I Bank. Um, and I moved to Milwaukee to, to start working there. And working is a big expense. I don't know if you've all moved before or not, but I lived in the dorms all four years, and so I had to buy you know, dishes and silverware and pots and pans and that, you know, the whole thing. Um, and so coming right out of college, going right into that, and we started a, a week after my graduation, two weeks after my graduation, that's a lot of money, right? And so I was dirt poor. We were out on a meeting. Uh, it was about an hour away from the office that I was. And uh, the meeting went long, went into lunch, and um, I had my lunch back at the office, and we were coming back, and the, the leader of the group decided they wanted to stop to have lunch. And he picked a pretty pricey restaurant to stop at. And so here I am looking down the menu, you know, lobster tail, $45, uh, halibut, $27, filet mignon, $35. And I'm thinking, I don't have this kind of money to eat. What in the world am I going to be able to look? And so I start flipping through the menu a little bit, and aha, French onion soup, $5.95, right? If you've eaten French onion soup before, it's basically beef-flavored water and onions, right? Is this going to satisfy my hunger? You know, no way, not at all. And so let's look at this meal a little bit closer now. Could I have eaten lunch on my own dime? I mean, could I have coughed up $6? Sure, absolutely. I could have spent what cash remained in my name to eat beef-flavored water and onions. Absolutely. But again, would that soup have satisfied my cravings and hunger? Not a chance, right? I mean, it was a long meeting, it was a long day, and I was starving. That soup would have done nothing but make me more hungry. Um, if there were only two options on the menu, soup and steak, and I was required to buy the steak dinner to stay with the bank, would I have been able to afford that steak? Yeah, not a chance, right? Did I order the steak on the faith that somebody else was picking up the tab? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I certainly did. Even though I was there at the bank um, because I'd been working, the steak was ultimately a gift, because as I was looking at down the menu, um, the, bank, the, the bank officer that we were with says, you know, the bank's buying today, boys. Um, so it was, I was lucky. I was given the gift. Um, and the gift of salvation works basically the same way, right? There is a God, and he is holy. We've got to start there. He is a holy, holy God. Sin cannot remain in his presence. We are a people marred by sin. I mean, if there is one promise that I, without question, can guarantee you that I will keep, it's that if we are in relationship long enough, I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to sin against you. I'm going to betray you. I'm going to slander you. Something. In some way, shape, or form, I'm going to sin against you. That promise I know I can keep without question. Everything else, 
Probably not. Now, sin requires, that just shows, you know, that, that we are sinful people. And a sin requires judgment from a holy God. And when you're dealing with the holy God, the sin has got to be removed from his presence. They must be paid for. The author of Hebrews tells us that there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. You can have your own blood spilt or you can let Christ's blood cover you. And so you're presented with two options. You can either pay for the soup and be unsatisfied, unfulfilled, and ultimately unnourished, or you can eat the free steak offered to you. Either way, the meal's got to be paid for. And so now, if you've ever worked in fine dining, or you know someone who has, you know that people that are in the know in the restaurant business evaluate the quality of the restaurant by the work of the chef in the kitchen. The steak was a $35 steak, for example, because of whose kitchen it was. And so to recap a bit, if I'm hungry, where I look to find food certainly depends on who's paying the tab, but it also depends on who's in the kitchen. And so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. God, the great chef, has sent us the ultimate bread. He has sent us his Son so that we might have forgiveness of our sins and fellowship with the Almighty in our union with Christ. We can eat of the bread that is greater than manna from heaven. The manna was just an appetizer, as we'll see in a second. It was just an appetizer to tide them over. And here, we are getting the main course. This is it. This is what it's all about. This is the food that's going to satisfy. But the crowds aren't getting it. They aren't looking with the correct eyes, and they're not even seeing the correct chef. They held that the, manna, that the miracle of the man in the desert not as something given by God, but as something done by Moses. And because, they're Mo, because, they're, because Moses gave their ancestors manna every day, he proved himself as one whose law was worthy to be followed. But even this was to miss the point of manna from heaven. Deuteronomy 8.3 And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The physical manna that they ate was simply to tie them over and to train them to look to the Lord for nourishment. It was his word that was sustaining both body and soul. I want you to take a second and open up your worship folder again to the very front cover. This is from Isaiah. He says, Come, all, who, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. 
And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen. Listen to me and eat what is good. And your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Isaiah is repeating the same message regarding the expectation for the coming of the Messiah as the author of Deuteronomy does. According to the text, like in the text in Deuteronomy 8, satisfaction comes from the word of the Lord. And here, the word of the Lord is standing incarnate right in front of their faces, and they're missing it. They're still sitting there trying to get their fill on the French onion soup when the steak is steaming right next to them. The crowd's looking for a sign so that they might see and believe, but the ironic thing is that the sign they're looking for is right in front of them, standing in flesh and blood. They could reach out and touch it, but they're not seeing it. Now, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to see that even though Jesus presents himself as the only food that will satisfy, the crowd refuses to shut the fridge door and go eat that which is going to satisfy their desires. Because they haven't even figured out yet what it is that they want to eat. Is that you? Are you hungry this morning? Are you looking for food that's going to satisfy both your deepest cravings and your sharpest hunger pains? If you are hungry, do not, do not stand there with the fridge door open any longer. Don't keep looking for something that's going to keep you unsatisfied. Look for the real deal. Look for the bread that comes down from heaven. Don't keep eating soup when you can have a full meal right there in front of you. And don't keep looking for the same old food that will leave you perpetually unnourished, unsatisfied, and unhealthy. Foods that are going to ultimately lead to your death. Now, for those of us that have eaten from the bread that's come down from heaven, are you helping to feed others as well? Do you have two people you can call to mind right now that you're investing your life into or that you could be investing your life into, that you could be feeding Jesus to? If not, why not? If not, I would challenge you to think about it right now. Who are two people that even this afternoon you can give a phone call to, you can call up and say, hey, let's go get coffee because, you know, I'm interested in you. I want to be involved in your life. I want to bleed life with you. And I want to feed you Jesus. In short, like we said before, if you are hungry, what are you eating? What are you going to eat? Are you feasting on Jesus? If you are hungry, he is the only one that's going to satisfy your cravings. Jesus Christ has died upon the cross, paying for your sins, and has risen to life again, granting you new life. Come to his table and be satisfied. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have come to, come to, have, come to earth, God, that you are the true bread that's going to satisfy our hunger pains, God. We confess to you that we have gone after things that are not going to satisfy. We have gone after foods that are going to perish. We've gone after foods that's going to kill us. God, and we confess those sins to you, Lord. And we ask that you would nourish us today. God, would you grant us 
a taste of your son uh, and the, the worship to follow, God. Would you bless our time in worship? Um, help us to see you more clearly. All these things we ask in your son's name. Amen.